This is MacGeekGab 917 for Monday, March 7th, 2022. Greetings, folks, and welcome to MacGeekGab, the show where you send in your tips, your questions, your cool stuff found we take your tips and share them. We take your cool stuff found and we share them. Sometimes we share cool stuff found in tips of our own. And then we take your questions and we try to answer them. Sometimes we offer questions of our own, hoping for answers. We're stewards of this community here, funneling all this information back and forth and back and forth. Because the goal is for each and every one of us to learn at least five new things every single time we all get together, which is usually once a week. Although this week we're going to get together twice because Apple told us to. Well, Apple scheduled an event on Tuesday. So we'll get together right after that and offer our, our hot takes on, on whatever it is Apple chooses to share with us. And maybe we'll share our hot takes on whatever Apple chose not to share with us, too. But that will remain to be seen for Tuesday. For today, uh, sponsors for this episode include Mac Updater at corecode.io slash MGG, where MGGQ1 is the coupon code that saves you 10% on your order. Uh, drinktrade.com slash MGG gets you 20 bucks off your first three bags of their delicious coffee that is hand-selected for you. Newrelic.com slash MGG. Uh, gets you signed up and 100 gigs of data free forever. No credit card required. And finally, ZocDoc.com slash MGG. That's where you go to sign up for free and download the app and start figuring out which doctors are the ones that you want to see. We will talk more in depth about each of those shortly here for now. Here, back here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is... Hey, John F. Braun, uh, the last we spoke, the last your two heroes were were together, uh, you were having some sound issues with your MacBook Pro in that it was not making them. You you did a reinstall, which happened during the show, but that, Mm -hmm. yes or no, that didn't solve it? I don't believe so. Ah, that sucks. But did you get it solved? Uh, Yeah. Well, you gave a suggestion is uh, look into uh, audio MIDI setup. Yeah. And so what I did is went into audio MIDI setup, selected my internal speakers and fiddled with the uh, format. Okay. All right. So I switched it from, so normally it should be 44, I think. So I switched it to 48 and then I switched it back and that seems to have done it. So amazing. That's great. Yeah. Audio MIDI setup. It it is like neither one of those is universally right or universally wrong. Like either one is fine. Forty four one or forty eight. The what I like to do is have all of my audio devices set to the same, whatever that same might be. Uh, And that might be more superstition than logic. But the logic for me is I don't want to put my Mac in a scenario where it's got to be doing any more, you know, sample rate conversion than it than necessary. And uh, and it, it, you know, that that seems to work. But it sounds like your issue wasn't a sample rate mismatch. It was simply maybe a corrupted preferences file somewhere that just needed to be rewritten. And by toggling it back and forth, you did exactly that. So, 
That's bueno. That's good. I'm glad that wasn't a hardware issue, and I'm glad it was a relatively easy solution. That's great. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, should we um, more more on that, or should we dig into our quick tips for the day? No, I think we're good. All right. You want to take so, us to uh, Carl? Let's start with Carl. So um, uh, Carl says, I wanted to let you know that I got my mom a HomePod mini to help her hear phone calls better. When she receives a phone call or her iPhone, all she has to do is hold the phone near the HomePod mini and the call automatically switches over to it. It works great. And well, let's see, they're on sale now at Costco, but oh. uh, maybe not anymore. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the normal price is 99 bucks. And, uh, but, uh, I got mine from uh Best Buy for 79 bucks. Okay. I, think I also got a coupon code. So even less than that. So, well, that's pretty good. But it's neat. Yeah. So I confirmed this. So, you know, I did a phone call with my phone and if you hold it near the, the, uh, home pod, all of a sudden, um, a, a little, I don't even know what to call it, but it says transfer from iPhone. So I had to, uh, actually press on that though. Maybe if you hold the phone next to it long enough, it'll just automatically switch it over. Oh, like, so it's, it's like, a, it, it's like a little notification that comes up on the phone that, mm-hmm. that yeah. Interesting. Huh? That's pretty cool. I like that. Wow. All right. And, uh, uh, John in the chat room at live.macgeekup.com, which you are welcome to join anytime we're recording. And of course, macgeekup.com slash calendar will tell you when we're recording. Uh, John in the chat room says that works with any audio, not just phone calls. So if you were playing music or a podcast through your phone, uh, put it near the home pod and you'll get the same notification. I like this. That's really interesting. Huh? I wonder, would that work? I know the Apple TV uses bluetooth for some functions i wonder if i could put my phone near my apple tv and do the same thing probably not i'm guessing that's a no but um but that's because i don't have any home pods well only because i have lots of sonos stuff which we'll talk about later in the episode here um interesting interesting yeah cool i like it that's that's pretty good all right uh listener ben has yet more to say on our uh, message tapbacks. He says, following up on my previous share regarding tapback shortcuts on iOS now, he says, I'm used to long pressing on a message in messages uh, to see tapback options. The tapback options, meaning that, you know, the thumbs up, the the heart, the thumbs down, the, the exclamation points, whatever, and other message commands like reply and things like that. Uh, He says, I just discovered that you can double tap on a message to see only tap back responses. Additionally, when double tapping on an iMessage, the reply command is also available. And when double tapping on a link, there is a pin option. Although he says, I haven't been able to determine the point of pinning a link. I'm kind of the same way. I'm not sure where they pin to. Maybe they pin in that chat so they're easier to find in the sea of links for that chat later. I don't know. Maybe somebody will tell us feedback at MacGeekab.com. How do you use pinning? We'd love to know, but this is great. Yeah. Because sometimes it is faster to double tap on a message to get those tap back options than holding down on it. And the, the nice part is by double tapping. And I know this is going to sound like super like nitpicky, uh, but you know, I'm an efficiency maniac. And so by double tapping, my finger is already, my thumb in this case, most cases, is already up. 
so that it can then go back down to hit the uh, you know, the, the appropriate reaction. Right. So if I if I hold down on it, then I have to lift once they appear and hit it. Whereas if I double tap, I'm already up again. Maybe this is the drummer in me as I'm as I'm doing this with my fingers while, I'm, while we're while we're having this conversation. I'm realizing that this is exactly what I, you know, was trained and practice with with drums. You know, you hit the drum and then you let the drum do a little bit of the work, but you do sort of lift the stick off to get back up to start the next stroke. And, and maybe I'm thinking the same way, but there is an efficiency in this. Trust me, we, you know, nine out of 10 drummers agree. So, yeah, nice, Ben. Thank you. It's good stuff. Good stuff. See the things we learn. I didn't realize I'd learned something about myself. Actually, I probably did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how it goes. Want to take us to Kent, John? Yes. So uh, Kent did some good detective work here. Um, for about two weeks, if I did a Google search on my iOS devices or my iMac and tried to click on one of the first results, I would get the message, Safari cannot open the page because it could not establish a secure connection to the server. Of course, the first two results are almost always ads, and clicking them sends you through Google ad services before routing you to the link. Sifting through the results of my Googling the issue, is that circular thinking? Uh, yeah, I, I, um, I'm, I'm starting to... <laughs> it's not, but, but Google I... The problem with Google, it. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the ubiquity of Google is the problem, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, most suggestions centered around clearing caches and or search history. None of that helped. Finally, realizing that this problem happened across all all my and my wife's devices, I thought of our mesh Wi-Fi setup. We, lose, we use plume pods supplied by our ISP, which are controlled via their HomePass app. Sure enough, in the guard screen was an ad blocking setting labeled Labs, which was enabled. I believe this was added in a recent update, as I did not specifically enable it myself. I turned it off and immediately all was well. Just a head up, heads up if anyone else is scratching their heads as to why their searches are being disrupted. Even if they don't have a plume system, other routers or mesh, mesh systems may implement a similar feature without notifying its users. Um, and he's absolutely right. Um, and actually, I've uh, had a similar problem uh, on the Eero, Dave. So they also have a labs uh, setting uh, in their app, go to discover and then Eero labs. Um, but it's clearly marked as beta and they claim in an article about Eero that they won't enable a feature without your permission. Um, I actually had some issues with their WPA three implementation, which I still uh, many, don't think many Mac right. users did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, he's right on the guard screen. I have this disabled on mine, uh, but I can see that ad blocking is labeled with labs um, and for sure. Yeah, that that's because I'm currently using plume in the house here. Uh, you know, I go back and forth with uh, with a few of them. But um, yeah, I can totally see where that would break it. That makes sense. Makes sense. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. And and, and WPA three in Eero still not working for you as of your last check is that right john or is it has that been fixed um i'll try it again okay but okay yeah it, yeah and the symptom is all of a sudden you know like my mac will disconnect or drop that connection and then maybe it'll get reestablished maybe not right like, oh yeah no that's what it is it's the it it near as i can tell uh it's for devices that roam 
right? When you roam from one access point to another, it, for whatever reason, Apple devices and Eros or maybe Apple's implementation of WPA3, th- th- like that's an incompatibility there. And when you roam from one to the other, you'll see it connected. Like it, it's not like you lose Wi-Fi signal or anything, which on a phone is even more of a problem because at least if it lost the Wi-Fi signal, you'd have, you know, cellular to fall back to back on or mobile data, I guess we're supposed to call it. But um, but you don't. It thinks it's connected, but no data passes. So, yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, that's, you know, this is why we do the show. Help people out. I like it. I will leave that feature disabled on mine. Patrick has a, uh, well, it's something we've, we've probably revisited in the past or revisited. We visited in the past and we are revisiting today. Patrick has a PDF tip. He says the other day I needed to combine multiple PDF files into one PDF. I wanted to, the way I would usually do it is that I would open up the thumbnail pane and then drag and drop thumbnails into the thumbnail pane of the main PDF. I do the same thing and it works great. You can rearrange and all of that stuff. One weird thing about that is as you're doing it, page numbers will stay the same. It will inherit the page number that the page had in its original file. But as soon as you save it, then it reenumerates and the new file is just one file with with pages in the in the right order. Uh, <clears throat> he says, uh, open up your main PDF. <clears throat> but he says, I found an easier way to do it. Open up your main PDF file in preview and go to the edit insert and then choose page from file. You can then choose not only one file to combine, but multiple files to combine into one. This can not only be used to combine multiple PDF files together, but you can also combine PDF files and image files into one PDF document. This is one of those features that might have been obvious to a lot of people, but it's these little discoveries that make life easier. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I like this. Yeah, that's good. That is good. All right. Why in the world are my PDFs not archiving? Speaking of PDFs, like when we do the show, I archive PDFs off and, uh, oh, it did there. Okay. <sighs> Evernote's being weird again. We got to find something better than the old, old version of Evernote. We got to find something Apple scriptable. Maybe Apple's notes is our answer, or maybe Synology's note station is our answer. I don't know, but there is an answer out there. Want to take us to Jamie? Indeed. So this is a good trick from Jamie. So, um, Jamie says, I'm currently listening to your talk of creating shortcuts to remount network shares on the Mac. And it reminded me that I've been wanting to send in this quick tip for a while. Uh, Note, my finder toolbar has been slimmed down and I removed some of the buttons like view, airdrop, etc. But this works regardless, but may clutter up a default toolbar setup. And here are the steps. So mount a network drive in the standard way, which is go uh, connect to server from the finder. Then open up your computer in the Finder. Um, uh, open up the computer. Uh, let's see. Dave's a Macintosh or in my case. Odin, the root list yeah, yeah. of all connected drives, local and shared. No. Yeah. When you open it, when you go to, to when you go to go connect to server, you'll see all of the servers out there, and so you're going to choose the one that has the drive that you want to mount. Maybe your Synology disk station, maybe another Mac. Like, I think that's, that's step two here, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then step three, drag a network drive icon up to the finder toolbar. I would have never thought to have oh. done this. While holding down the command or option key, you'll see a green plus and you'll be able to add the drive with the icon up in the toolbar. Without the modifier key, it'll only show an alias arrow. And then if that drive ever gets unmounted, the icon will disappear, but a question mark will remain in its place. Clicking the question mark will re remount the drive. This works for both local and network drives. Option driving a drive in the toolbar allows for reordering and option drag off will remove the icon. Wow, that's cool. really interesting. Huh. Huh. All right. I yeah, I never would have thought of that. And it but but Jamie is absolutely right. Like that finder toolbar is yours to customize for sure. Uh and and you can you can put documents up there. I've seen people do that with Things that, you know, they're constantly opening or whatever, you know, folders, whatever you want, you can put up there. Yeah. Very interesting. I like it. That's a good one. Cool. Uh, let's see. You want to take us to Jim? It's probably uh, not. Yeah. Yeah. So Jim, I think this is a fish shake. <laughs> um, after installing Grammarly and trying it for a few days, I decided it was not for me and turned it off. It took a few more days before I realized that spell check and auto capitalization were no longer working. For some reason, Grammarly disables spell check and check and auto capitalization. Deleting the Grammarly app does not re-enable it. I finally found a website with a solution that did it for me by using a one-line terminal command. And we can list the one-line terminal command. Default write dash G NSA NS allow continuous spell checking bool true Wait, it's in oh. it's in the show notes copy pasta mm -hmm. copy paste really it's not copy pasta yeah. yeah so um so that's rather rude no it makes sense that it would turn it off um mm. it, i mean it, it would have to otherwise it, it you're gonna have these competing things uh, you know and and probably drive you crazy so yeah it mm -hmm. makes mm -hmm. it makes sense it but i can i mean n not it it's one of those things that once you know, you know, and until you know, then you don't know. So, yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Gary actually has two quick tips for us. He says for people who want to use AirPods Pro in only one ear, but still use noise cancellation, this can be enabled in on iOS in settings, accessibility, AirPods, Noise cancellation with one AirPod. What an interesting thing. He says, this might sound strange, but sometimes I want to be able to hear my podcast clearly whilst walking near traffic, but don't want to block out everything. And I find transparency mode isn't good for this use case. No, it's terrible for that because it lets in all that noise. But one ear sealed, one ear not sealed. That's really interesting. I kind of like this. He said, by default, AirPods Pro require both earbuds to be in your ears to enable noise cancellation. That's true. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. All right. Thanks, Gary. That's a good one. And then uh, one uh, from another from Gary in the PDF realm to round out our quick tips here. He says, uh, although it is no longer possible to use save as PDF in the preview app via the print dialogue to remove a password from a, a protected PDF in Monterey. Uh, the option is grayed out. It still works in Safari. So open your PDF in Safari and print and save it from there. And it will be stripped of its passwordness. 
I always I get my my tax returns from my accountant and he always puts in a password in the PDF because, you know, it's got I mean, it's got not only our social security numbers, but lots of, of private information. I totally get it. What I do not want, though, is in four years to have to go digging through whatever files I have to figure out what that password on that PDF is. So I always strip the passwords out and this is going to be a handy way to do it. So thank you for that, Gary. I appreciate it. I, I had I had lost my ability to do that. All right. Well, I have a bunch of cool stuff found and, and sort of travel tips to share from my trip to Mexico last week. The next thing that I'd love to do, John, if it works for you, is talk about uh, our first couple of sponsors. Will do. All right. Hey, did you know that 90% of the coffee you get from the grocery store is actually stale? Yep, it's true. The coffee you know and think you love needs an upgrade. Instead of rebuying the same old, same old, let our sponsor, Trade Coffee, send you something freshly roasted that you're literally guaranteed to love. This actually means something to me because I don't love coffee in general. I don't drink it every day. It's not a thing for me. Trade Coffee sent me coffee that I actually loved. It was amazing. You go online and you fill out this coffee quiz for them. And it, it takes just a few minutes. And they ask you about your preferences, how you brew it, what equipment you use, all of that stuff, your flavor preferences, all that stuff. Lisa and I, my wife and I filled it out together. And then Trade Coffee guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll replace it for free. And this is because... Trade sells the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters, and they ship free to you as often as you like, whole or ground. Trade has been featured in the New York Times, Wired, GQ, and right here on Mac Geek, right? It's great. And for you, our listeners, right now, Trade is offering a total of $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com slash MGG. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com slash MGG and start your journey to your perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com slash MGG for $20 off your first three bags and our thanks to Trade for sponsoring this episode. Listen, if you're a software engineer, you've been there, right? It's nine at night. You're finally unwinding from work. Then that alert. Something's broken and your mind starts racing like it's how we work, right? We start solving the problem before we actually know what the problem is. I've been there. You've been there. You know it. It's just how it grows. You start asking, okay, wait, wait, wait. Is it uh, the, the, the server itself? Is it a router between me and or my monitors in the server? Is it just some engine on the server? Like is Apache the problem? You start solving it before you know what's going on. And that won't happen if you get our sponsor, New Relic, because New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you normally buy separately so you can see across your entire software stack in one place. And you can pinpoint issues down to the line of code. It sounds amazing. And it is, especially when you see it in action like we have here. It's amazing. That's why the Dev and Ops teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. So listen, that next 9 p.m. call is just waiting to happen. Get New Relic before it does. Then you can access the whole New Relic platform and 
100 gigs of data free forever. No credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash MGG. You got to use our URL. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash MGG. Newrelic.com slash MGG. And our thanks to New Relic for sponsoring this episode. All right. So I uh, was very fortunate. I was able to travel to and from Mexico last week. We went and saw a bunch of fish concerts at a uh, at a resort in Cancun. And it, it, it all, everything worked out great. And there's many things that I did while traveling. Uh, and I, I'm guessing more and more of us will be traveling as we go forward. So I figured I'd share some of the things I learned. The, the first is sort of the obvious one. But uh, now that we have air tags everywhere, if you're checking a bag, throw one of your air tags in the bag. You don't need to leave it there full time. Like that's kind of a, unless you're traveling all the time, that's a, uh, you know, a, a pretty luxurious use of an air tag because it's going to be pretty infrequent. But throwing one in each of our checked bags when uh, when we left was it's great. I, I I did it on my last trip to to Portland too. It you know it's just nice to know. I've always done it with a tile, John, and and it that worked. Like, but there are as we've learned, you know the the network of devices that can sense air tags is much 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 larger than the network of devices that can select than that can detect tiles. So. Uh, having an air tag in, in luggage was a great way of knowing, yep. Okay. It, you know, the plane lands and sometimes even mid flight, you can find it with your phone, it, depending on where your seat is compared to where your bag might be stowed away. But, um, yeah, man. So that's, that's yeah. my, my quick little tip. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Some airlines, um, I think it was the last CES I went to, um, Delta, I believe it was Delta. Yep. I actually got a notification on my phone once they put my bag in the plane. I was like, well, that's pretty cool to tell me all about that. Yep. We flew Delta uh, to and from Mexico because they had nonstop flights from Boston to Cancun. And uh, and it's the same thing. Yeah, you get the, the notification, uh, which is handy. Even if it's not correct, it's, it's you know, it gives you a nice peaceful flight. <laughs> if your bag's not going to make it, you know, no sense fretting about it during the flight. Just figure it out when you get there. <laughs> As yeah. you remember, a past trip, yeah, it was a disaster. And yeah. I got stuck in uh, Philly because uh, there was ice. Well, you connected through Philly. I mean, that's how it works. Connected yeah, Philly, the thing spend is, the night. I then had to rebook my flight, and I actually did it myself. I, you know, broke out the computer, and I'm like, okay, can can you do this, this, and this? There was It was like three, three legs. <laughs> but the problem is my bag didn't make it yeah. until the next day. Yeah. Fortunately, I got a nice uh, T-shirt. You, you, you give me an extra T-shirt. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, there you go. <laughs> Cirque du Mac. Ah, right. The Cirque du Mac T-shirts came in handy. That's right. Mm -hmm. Ah, yes. Don't forget about your Mac Geekab T-shirts. Go to macgeekab.com slash merch. Uh, I definitely wore one of those. One of the one of the nights of the concerts. People love the don't get caught on it, even if they mm -hmm. didn't quite get the reference. You know. Um, while I was gone and using my Sonos Roam, my uh, friends at Sonos let me know that there was a new version of the Sonos Roam that came out. So the Sonos Roam is their, you know, I'll call it pill-shaped speaker. And it, uh, it it's absolutely my favorite travel speaker, you know, bar none. Like, it, they they know exactly how to make things sound good. 
I don't understand how they do what they do with this speaker because I have other speakers of the same size and the Rome is like has the best roundest sound that I've ever seen on any of these. They released the Rome SL. Now, the Rome and the Rome SL are normal Sonos speakers. They connect to your Wi-Fi when you're at home and they participate in your Sonos network just like you would expect them to. When you travel, though, the Rome has Bluetooth functionality. And so it can just be, you know, your normal Bluetooth speaker, if you will. And it's fantastic. Uh, works super easily. It's my favorite travel speaker. The Rome SL now drops the price to 159 bucks. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't know why the website that keeps coming up for me here, even though I'm in, you know, New Hampshire, USA is giving me prices in, uh, I don't even know what those prices are. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's uh, 159 bucks. It still has Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, but it doesn't have any microphones. So the, the normal room has microphones that are used for, uh, being a smart speaker at home, you know, uh, the Amazon a lady or the Google assistant, and also the microphones provide the speaker with the ability to do automatic true play, which is Sonos's uh, way of tuning the speaker to uh, sound right in its environment without microphones. It can't do that. So there's no microphones. And uh, and so therefore, you know, no automatic true play, but lower price for a travel speaker. That's what I would get the Rome SL. So I was I was I was going to talk about it anyway, uh, but uh then they announced the new one. So it was like, well, perfect. So there you go. Yeah, I think that's a euro symbol. I okay. It's, I don't know why it's. I don't know why it's listing uh, euros. Same. doesn't matter. It's 159 bucks. Uh, for my travels this time, you know, I'm, I'm a Mint Mobile user, which means I save, I think, about two grand a year over what we were paying AT&T. But it doesn't come with any what, I'll, what lots of people like to call free uh, international roaming. Like, say, AT&T and Verizon do. But, of course, you pay for that even if you're not using it. That's really what it is. So I uh, I looked at, you know, we talked about eSIMDB in the past. I wound up using GigSky this time for uh, data to use while in Mexico. And I got a 15-day plan because I wanted to sign up. We were going to be gone for seven days, effectively. I wanted to sign up, you know, a couple of days before we left. I didn't want to sign up for an eight day plan, but I also wanted more than a gig of data. And I think the way the plans worked, I got like three gigs for 20 bucks or something, uh, you know, in a 15 day plan, which was great. But I obviously didn't start using it because the data was only good in, in Mexico uh, or so I thought uh, until we landed. And what was cool was my 15 day timer on my gig sky plan, even though I bought it on a Sunday, didn't start until I landed in Mexico on Wednesday which I thought was pretty good. Now, unfortunately coming back, like once the timer starts, it doesn't stop. Like it's, it's not like I get 15 days to use whenever it's, you get 15 days that start whenever you start. And then that's that you, uh, you know, you, you, you go from there, but I think I'm also able to use the data for on that particular plan back here in the U S. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll burn it, burn it up both, but the whole dual SIM thing on the, on the iPhone man has been fantastic. It really like, and I used it. The gig sky was an eSIM plan, John. So it made life super easy. And I could, I was able to leave my mint SIM on for voice calls and for SMS. 
Uh, inbound SMS was free. I think in Mexico, voice calls on my mint plan cost me like six cents a minute or something. So it was no big deal. But you could also do them on Wi-Fi calling. And um, and that appeared for us not to charge us. I wasn't sure if Wi-Fi calling would charge us internationally. Like sometimes they get you anyway, you know, but uh, we did make a couple of phone calls, which was fine. And uh, our we topped up our, you know, we added like five bucks to our mint accounts uh, for international whatever uh, that we might have needed, you, you know, their data pl- prices are super expensive. So we didn't go that you know, we didn't use them for data, but it's, you know, the iPhone makes it super easy to choose which plan to use for voice and SMS and which plan to use for data. And you can even tell the phone to, you can give it permission to switch back and forth between data plans based on where you are, because like it without data roaming on for my mint plan, it, it wouldn't I could set that to be the primary. I just wouldn't get any data. You know, I, I have to enable roaming. And so to have have both of them enabled and it's just like, oh, you're Mexico. So we're going to use this plan because that one's going to give us data here. It's pretty cool. It's a whole lot different than it was even two years ago traveling internationally, to be perfectly honest. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't know. But um, I'll put uh, I'll put links to all these things in the show notes. I also I get uh, you get five bucks off of Gig Sky if you use my code. So factor that into your pricing. Uh, but the code is like Dave one ninety one or something. It gets us both five bucks. But um, obviously, you know, use it if it makes sense for you. I'll, I'll leave it out there. Uh, what else do I have? Oh, so I, I was hoping to talk about these for CES. I got these for CES. These Kizik shoes, John. Have you ever heard, have you heard of these things? K-I-Z-I-K? I think I've seen some Instagram ads. Okay. Please. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that, that's that's almost certainly where you've seen them. They are slip-on shoes. They're laced up slip-on shoes. I got the Vegas model because that seemed to make sense for CES. Plus, it's a nice leather upper. And, uh, and man, it, it's whatever they've done to the heel. The heel sort of like breaks away when you slip your foot in and then it's super strong once your foot's in there and it's super comfortable great for a travel day i've got pre-checked so uh we don't well actually have global entry so which makes life way easier coming back to by the way but um which includes pre-check so i don't take off my shoes getting on the plane but once i'm on the plane i definitely take off my shoes like i you know while i'm sitting in my seat I just, you know, sit there in my socks. I don't have, like to have shoes on on the plane, but I do want to put shoes on before I go to the restroom. Pro tip, mm-hmm. folks. You, you definitely don't want to come back with wet feet, and I won't share any more about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So having these shoes to slip on and off, super comfortable, good stuff. Uh, I, it's magic. I've, I've never had a pair of My kids are laughing at me because they're like, yeah, dad, these shoes have existed for, for a while here. I'm like, yeah, but this is life changing. They're like, okay, sounds great, you know. But I liked him. It was good. Good little travel thing. John, um, I think I'm pretty much a doctor now. I I think so. Um when I was well, let's let's uh let's tell the story the right way. About ten years ago, a uh a traveling friend of 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 mine and of ours, a frequent traveler, advised me that it would be a good idea to travel with uh, ciproflaxin in my travel case, which is an antibiotic that is often used as the primary line of defense for food poisoning or traveler's diarrhea or whatever you want to call that. 
And so I, for whatever reason, like a couple years, even prior to that, I'd had a script for it for something. I forget what they gave me more than I needed. I had like three of them left. And so I threw it in my travel case and I forgot about it. And fast forward 10 years until Sunday night. And after waging an heroic battle in the wee hours of the morning uh, and finally realizing that this was not going to get better, it dawned on me. I have Cipro in my travel kit. And so I took one of these and uh, within about 90 minutes or less, I was, you know, back to like 90%. It, it, you know, it was, it's amazing how well this stuff works for exactly that. I know somebody's going to hate me for telling the story, but I'm telling it anyway. Uh, But I really, and so I was like, great vacation saved. Like, this is amazing. And I got some more sleep and, you know, things were mostly fine. I was ginger on, on the old gullet for the rest of the day, for sure. But, um, everything was in, under control. Uh, but I did realize that I would run out of my limited supply of Cipro while I was there. Now I didn't want to spend all day at the, you know, of our vacation, especially as things were winding down to the end. I didn't want to spend all day at the, the, you know, the resorts medical, uh, facility, although they have one there. So I went up, but I, I figured, well, let's find out what the story is. So I went up to the concierge and I said, Hey, you know, got some food poisoning need to refill my antibiotics. And the woman said to me, do you know exactly what you need? And I said, I do. I need ciproflaxin. And she handed me uh, what, what I now know, I, I guess is a, a prescription pad. It's uh, it's cause that's what we, we, uh, we newly minted physicians, I guess, call it. It's, it's, it's square and yellow and, and you peel it off and there's like a little, like the top of it is sort of sticky. And so I wrote ciproflaxin on a post-it note and I handed it back to her and she picked up her phone and she made a phone call and she pulled her phone away from her, from her ear. And she said, it's going to be 35 bucks for uh 14, 500 milligram tablets. That includes the delivery fee. Does that sound good? And I said, that sounds great. Uh, Cause I knew that's what, you know, what the dosage was that I already had with me. And so I was like, yep, we're, we're on the same page. We're moving down the right path. And she said, uh, great. She got back on the phone. Okay. Hung up the phone. Great. It'll be back here in two hours. Give me the 35 bucks. So I gave her the 35 bucks and, and a tip for helping me. And then uh, I went and lounged by the pool for two hours. And, and uh, once the two hours had elapsed, maybe three, I went back and I picked up my, uh, my prescription. So I wrote myself a, a prescription for, um, for Cipro. Nice. Uh-huh. So I think that means I'm a doctor now, John. I don't know. I, I guess. Mm, no. No. Are you sure, no. though? <laughs> uh, if you show me your medical degree. I, I wrote a prescription. That should count, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I remember, man. Uh, our family went on a, a trip to Mexico. The only advice I have is don't drink the local water. Yeah. Well, you're right. Because we went out to a restaurant, and back then, both me and my sister knew enough Spanish where you know we could order sure in Spanish. And uh, the bad news is that we also drank the water that the restaurant provided and i think it's uh, i don't know microbes or something yeah. but the thing is if you're not used to local you're not water, used to it right yeah exactly <clears throat> yeah this is this was our our second time at this particular res- your advice is absolutely spot on by the way drink bottled water that's the only way to go um this resort is the second time we've been there it's the the fourth time that we've been to one of these concert events at a resort in mexico it was the the first two we went to were at a different resort but same kind of thing and these resorts have they like they cater mostly to people from the U.S. and the U.K., and they have their own water treatment plants on site. 
So the water that you get served there is generally speaking going to be fine. This was, you know, out of those, those four trips with the two of us, this was our first experience with, with anything like this. It probably wasn't the water. We have a lot of theories. Honestly, one theory that, that sort of reared its ugly head when we got home was uh, another pro tip. If you're traveling to a resort, bring a big insulated coverable drink cup with you. We, you can get them from like, like we got ours from RTIC Arctic, um, but you can get them from, I think the, I forget the company that charges more, but you know, it has a stronger brand name. <laughs> it's not strong enough for me to remember. Uh, Igloo, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, you, you know, we had those, but we were drinking these things that, that were like a combination of a daiquiri and a pina colada or whatever. They water down all the drinks at the, at the resort, which is great because you don't really want to be hammered in the pool. You just, you know, kind of want to have something cold or whatever. But the strawberry stuff, as I, as I, you know, we rinsed them out in our room at night, but um, you can only do so much in the, you know, in the room sink. So we would rinse and shake it and all that stuff. But when I got home and like got in there with soap and stuff, there was some of that strawberry stuff that had, had like started to fester in the lid of the cup. And when I started scraping it out, it smelled terrible. So it's possible that was it. In retrospect, I said to Lisa, I'm like, what we should have done, the room had a, you know, dispenser with like vodka and uh, tequila and rum and whiskey or something. We should have just filled a glass with with vodka and like shaken that in there at least to try and kill anything off. So next time that is what we will do. But uh, and maybe just bring a dish brush with us like it wouldn't be a terrible thing to pack. But um, yeah, yeah, it was um, it was not a fun Monday morning. I'll put it that way. But uh, but thankfully, you know, I was I was saved. One other thing we did, John, was um, we had a it was, it was lovely. We had a like a hot tub in the room that we could fill up and had jets and stuff. And so after the shows every night, we would, you know, kind of decompress and hang out in there and let our old muscles and bones soak and ache. And we would uh, I would I would there were a couple nights where there was like the Bruins playing or whatever. And so I wanted to watch you know, we just put it on the TV or whatever. Now we couldn't use Fubo because we were in Mexico because Fubo only works for me in the United States. I think it only works for anybody in the United States, but definitely did not work for us in Mexico. Uh, so we, you know, I have that channels uh, DVR channels doesn't do the greatest job at transcoding for a remote thing. It does. Okay. But Plex does way better. And I have Plex pointed at my channels library even and it can even see things that are like recording in progress and just catch up and play along with them. So we use Plex. But the cool part about using Plex is that I was able to use uh, Evgeny Chirpak's remote for Mac uh, to control. I would plug my Mac into the TV using the, um, you know, the HDMI cable and all that with the with the television. And then on my phone, I can use the remote app to control Plex on my Mac from across the room that was key. So I, it, it's, I, when he first told us about remote for Mac, I was like, I don't know. Like, what's the use case? He's like, well, if you have, like, if your media center is run by a Mac mini, then this is the perfect app. Like, right. Totally makes sense. Now your phone is your remote makes great sense, but mine is not right. So it, it, it's one of those things that I don't use all that often, but traveling, I use it like religiously. And I always make sure I have it set up before I go. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but yeah, remote remote for Mac is, is um, it's a, it's a great little thing. And it, it's so it's it, like, it's so perfectly 
engineered. I mean, he engineered it for himself to do exactly all of this, but you, you know, you, you get to, um, you just get to pick what, what it does. Uh, and it, it can control all kinds of different apps. Plex, obviously it can control all the Apple TV apps, but it, uh, you know, it does, it does what you need. It's, it's great. It's good stuff. You install a helper app on your Mac and you, you get the app for your phone and, and away it goes. So pretty good, right? So it, it, we're, we, we're, we're in a full agreement that I'm a doctor now, John, is that right? No. Okay. Just checking. Just figured I'd see if I could get that past you. Uh, we have questions to answer, John. Let's get back to the meat of this thing. The, the, and I would love to answer these questions. The next thing that I would also love to do is talk about our next couple of sponsors, if that works for you. Okay. All right. Hey, look, no one knows what you're looking for in a doctor better than you. And no one is better at giving you the tools to find the perfect doctor than our sponsor, ZocDoc. They made booking a great doctor surprisingly pain-free. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, that take your insurance, and who are available when you need them. So you get to read up on your local doctors. You get verified patient reviews to see what other real humans had to say about their visits with these people. And so that when you walk into the doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who gets you. You can find the doctor who is right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. And every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. I'm one of them. I've used it. And it's amazing to be able to go in and you can even sort of litmus test it by looking at reviews for an existing doctor that you have. So you can get a feel for, wow, yeah, okay, these make sense. I would have said that thing about my doctor. It's great. And in the chaotic world of healthcare, you can let ZocDoc be your trusted guide. You let us be your trusted guides for your tech stuff. Let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a high-quality doctor in a way that is surprisingly pain-free. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MGG and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor nearby today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash M-G-G, ZocDoc dot com slash M-G-G, and our thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Mac Updater from Core Code, one of my favorite apps. I know it's crazy that I'm excited about updating apps, but I totally am because I bet... I'm like you in this regard. When I go to launch an app, that's not when I want to find out there's an update for it, right? I mean, it's great that apps can can do that and say, hey, there's an update. You want to do that? Like, that's fine. But I'd much rather have the app already be updated when I go to launch it. I want to use it. That's why I launched the app. I didn't launch it to check to see if there's an update. Well, I launch Mac Updater and let it run on my Mac and it finds all these updates for me and then it can do most of them in one fell swoop. It's it's actually pretty amazing. The 6,000 most popular apps for your Mac, and this is a growing number, by the way, can be updated directly inside Mac Updater with a single click. And they have version information for over 60,000 apps. That number's growing, too. Mac Updater is a one-time purchase. There's no subscriptions. They've got support for all kinds of software. 2.1 even added support for Adobe plugins. It's super flexible. And you can save 
using coupon code MGGQ1 when you go to corecode.io slash MGG. So make sure, go to corecode.io slash MGG and then use coupon code MGGQ1 and that way you get our discount and uh, and you support these great people that make this great software and you make your life easier in the process. Our thanks to Corecode and Mac Updater for sponsoring this episode. All right, uh, John, you want to take us to our first question from Bob? Yeah, this is a kind of a wacky one. Um, so Bob says, a friend told me that he had turned off listen for Hey Siri on his iPhone because he is concerned that it is gathering too much information, like Google. Fair. Uh, he claims that his wife was talking about a bizarre physical item. <laughs> really wondering what this bizarre physical item is. Um, while her iPhone was nearby, then a short time later, she had an advertisement pop up. Not sure if it was Facebook for that bizarre product that she was discussing. I trust that Apple is concerned about my privacy and security, and I told him I didn't think that was possible. Am I wrong? Um, I don't think so. Now, here's what I found, Dave. So uh, we all know that Apple takes privacy very seriously, and they actually have a dandy article called um, Ask Siri Dictation and Privacy that goes into a lot of detail. And they explicitly state Siri data and your requests are not used to build a marketing profile and are never sold to anyone. But then I read the article further, Dave, and here's something that I did not know about. Um, the, the odd thing is that they do make some suggestions on how to disable certain apps from learning. Specifically, uh, go to settings, Siri, and search, and they do have a section that lists the various apps that can interact with Siri, and Facebook is one of them. So I just want to clarify, because of the language, the, the, the order of the words that you use, you said apps from learning. That's not the case. It's no. Siri from learning from apps. So Siri's uh, not providing data to the app. Siri is gathering data from them to better answer your queries in the future. And that's uh, okay. from a privacy standpoint, like that, that order matters there. So I just wanted to make sure we, we had that right. Oh, okay. All right. Um, all right. So maybe that's not the answer. Um, I mean, it, it could be like it, you, you may not want Siri to have information from say Facebook or, or things like that. You, you may want to like shut that down, but this is, I think the option like you have a quote in there. It's a, it's the setting is learn from this app, not mm -hmm. teach this app, right? Ah, all right? Right? I mean, like that. That's mm -hmm. the that's kind of the key there. So I just wanted to make sure we had that right. So okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, my only guess is that someone may have searched the uh, someone in the in the household may have searched the web for this bizarre physical item, and that's why it came up. Yeah, I mean. The other I mean, I noticed this with uh, is that a lot of times if I search for something on Facebook and then I go to Instagram because they, you know, they're part of the same club is that I'll see an ad for the thing that I looked at on another platform because I, I think they're having a little discussion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, well, Facebook and Instagram, definitely. But Facebook and everybody, you know, this is the whole uh, tracking thing, right? If you go uh, on your iPhone and and I'll try and get it up here while we're while we're talking about it. But if you go on your iPhone into privacy, you can control what apps get to see what you do in other apps. And and that is the like that's this is the whole point of this. Right. So if you go to settings, privacy, 
tracking and and then you have a list of apps that have asked to track you. This is asking to track you when you're using other apps. So, for example, you know, Facebook is here. They want to know what I'm doing in other apps on my phone. Of course, Facebook's going to be able to track me when I'm using the Facebook app. It's their app. They know everything that I do in that app. I assume they collect all that data and I don't have to assume they've told me they do. Right. And, and they use it. Like you said, the trick is, you know, do you want Facebook to be able to see what TV you're watching in the Fubo app? If you do turn on tracking for Facebook, that's what this tracking here is all about. And if you're watching the video, you can see that I have yet to find a reason where I want one of these apps to be able to track me in other apps. This is not about location tracking. This is, you know, because some apps, it's super handy to give location that's set in a different spot. This is about tracking what you're doing in other third party apps. Craziness that 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 this would even be something that could be allowed. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. But um, Mm. but that's that's where we're at. So, yeah, go, go in there and turn that off. As far as it. Suggesting the bizarre physical item. It's important to remember um these companies like think about let's talk about Amazon right because th- they're in the business of making sure that they have the items that you want close enough to you to deliver within one day when you want them and their predictive uh you know machine learning based algorithms are top notch and constantly being revised and improved and they know what you want before you go and look for it. So for you to get an ad for a thing that seems unique to you and seems bizarrely coincidental might be, you know, the result of tracking like this for sure. It might be, you know, th- that you've got some device listening that isn't being responsible with the, the, the audio data that it's getting, but it's also possible that these algorithms that it's not it might be unique to you, but your scenario is not unique. There's someone else like you that may be a week and a half ahead of you on whatever this schedule is. And they bought all the same things you did. They did all the same things you did or enough of the same things. It was like, oh, well, those people did this and wanted this unique item or this off, you know, off the beaten path item. Let's go and suggest it to these people because they might not even know it exists and maybe they'll buy it from us. And oftentimes we do. So, yeah. It's 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 an interesting world we live in, not necessarily in a good way all the time. Most of the time, it's good. It's good. All right. Um, We did get a note uh, while I was doing the ad reads from Martin Brooks in the chat room where he said uh, he suggested bringing denture cleaning tablets with you to sterilize your cups. So that's a uh, that's a interesting. I never thought about that, but there you go. So I like this. Also, while we're on the subject, we, like I said, we had a hot tub in the room. It was advised to us to bring either hot tub cleaning tablets uh, before, you know, to use when you take over the room. Or if you don't happen to have those and don't want to go buy 20 of them, uh, bring a dishwasher cleaning tablet and use that. And in fact, we did. We brought three of them just to have two for good measure uh, in case, you know, whatever we wanted to clean it twice, maybe. And and it, it made a difference. Like there's some, you know, gook that comes out of there or whatever. And so it's good to get it clean and then run it, rinse it, obviously, before you get in, because you don't necessarily want to be cleaning your body with dishwasher tablets. But, you know, your choice. Uh, thank you for that, Martin. 
you want to take us to Barry, John? Yeah, here's a mystery that I think I solved. <laughs> All right, let's see. Have some that. Sure. Um, yeah. I found two copies of this in music. There are a few others that are similar. Everything appears exactly the same except for the file size. Any idea where this would be? And he showed a screenshot of the two files. And they're um, not quite identical. Okay. Um, so I noticed one thing. So it lists the kind MPEG-4 audio. It lists the size. And indeed, the sizes are different. One of them is 1.5 megabytes and the other is 406 kilobytes. That's a big difference. The location is the same. But here's the thing that I noticed. The date is different. So the smaller file has a date uh, in 2007, and the larger file has a date in 2020. Um, but I, the, the only thing that popped into my head, though I don't use it. Well, actually, I do. I get a free trial. Um, I'm wondering if Apple Music decided that it was a good idea to get a, a higher resolution file, which I think this one is. And you can actually find out a lot of information. If you go into music, you right click on a song um, and you can say get info. And then there's a file tab and it can show you things like the bit rate and the sample rate. So I would look at that. For sure. Yeah, you no, know, I I am I would be nearly certain that you if you look at the um the the bit rate, it would be much higher on the larger file. The sample rate is actually shown in the finders get info. Both of these files are forty four one uh kilohertz, but the um the sample rate or the sorry, the bit rate would almost certainly be higher. Now you're right that Apple Music will pull down now, will pull down larger versions of files uh, now that Apple is sending out lossless files and even Dolby Atmos encoded uh, versions of files. But if you have them downloaded, it will play whatever you have downloaded. And if that's the old version that's not lossless or Atmos, then that's what you'll get. So you have to tell it undownload, you know, remove from device and then redownload or just stream it and you'll get the Atmos um, or, or lossless version. That's not what's happening here though. It could, it, it, and the only way I, the only reason I say that is by looking at the folders where these files are, these are in the, uh, iTunes media music folder. Apple music's cache is in the Apple music folder because they are special files that will expire when your subscription to Apple music expires. Whereas these files are not expirable files. They are files that listener Barry owns. And I think these are the result of iTunes match. So what Apple music does, uh, or you can do it with just iTunes match, which you pay 25 bucks a year for. But if you have Apple music, it's automatically included uh, is it will let you upload your entire library and then match it with Apple's much higher quality versions of those same songs. And then you can slurp those higher quality versions down. And it looks like uh, Barry has, you know, the the old version and the new version. So my guess, my guess is that this is going to show up to be, uh, you know, some maybe 64 K BPS, you know, file on the old one, on the small one, and then a 256 K AAC file on the large one. That would be my guess. But you're right. Doing the 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 info in um, uh, whatever uh, I guess in, um, in 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 music 
Yeah, you'd have to do it inside music or inside um, QuickTime Player. You could open them in QuickTime Player and that'll give you more of those details. So, yeah. But yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Cool. More on that? We're good. We're good. All right. Uh, Tony, a.k.a. PC Unix, has a question for us. It says, I have randomly been finding my battery nearly depleted when I log in. But when I check activity monitor energy, nothing is currently acting up. A friend alerted me to the applications in the last 12 hours from the view menu. Uh, I never noticed that. Maybe, he says, I can find the culprit the next time this happens. That might tell you it might not. It's not the most complete list. Let's put it that way. Um, There is a command that I learned about when I went through this a couple of months ago. Uh, in the, uh, th- there's a command called PM set that does a lot on the Mac with power manager. And, uh, you can pull a log from PM set and then you can parse that log for wake requests. Cause if you've got a sleeping Mac that wakes up or that, that, that is depleted or has lost lots of battery when you wake it up, I guarantee you that's not the first time it woke up since you put it to sleep last. It's been waking itself up, which Max will do and are not supposed to do every minute. They're supposed to do every hour and change. Um, my guess is that that you've got something waking up your Mac throughout the night to do some task, whatever that task may be. And wake requests with a capital W and a capital R is what you want to search for. So there's a, a command. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try and, and spell it out in the show here, but I will put it in the show notes. Uh, that lets you parse that log and only show you wake request events. And those wake request events will also come with process names that should help with the, um, with the searching. So go to MacGeekab.com, look up show nine seventeen, and you will see the, um, the, the command there that you just paste that into the terminal and it will tell you what has happened. It might be, you might see days worth of this stuff. So make sure you, sort of focus on the time period that matters, but you'll get there. Yeah. All right. You want to take us to Daniel, John? Yes. Um, So Daniel says, um, I've been getting repeated warning messages from tech tool pro and clean my Mac 10 that my one terabyte SSD was running out of free space. Mm. Yet the finder was telling me I had 270 gigs free. I was just starting to write a question to you when I spotted a quick tip in the notes for show 951. Use Carbon Copy Cloner to look at the space being taken by snapshot files. Sure enough, Carbon Copy Cloner showed me several snapshot files, including one from two months ago that was over 250 gigs in size. The finder doesn't show these files as taking up space. I deleted the big snapshot file and now all is good. <clears throat> so, uh, okay. Cool. cool. Um, and yeah, I ran into something similar in that my free space on my MacBook Pro went to hundreds of gigs to like tens of gigs. And I was like, what's taking all this space? And then I also recall that we were talking like this. Um, and I found a snapshot. It was like hundreds of gigs. Yeah, about the same thing he saw. And I think the reason this happened is that um, uh, Apple has an article uh, about time machine local snapshots. Um, and they specifically say that when you do an OS upgrade, which most of us have recently done, 
it'll create a huge snapshot just in case you need to revert to a prior OS version. Um, on the other hand, Apple claims also in this article, your Mac counts the space used by snapshots as available storage, even though, even so, Time Machine stores snapshots only on disks that have plenty of free space that it automatically deletes snapshots as they age or as space is needed for other things. And they specifically mention another snapshot is saved before installing any Mac OS update. So it doesn't count out of space. Check oh, your snapshots. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't count space used by snapshots as free space. That's that's a total lie. I mean, it, mm. if that were the case, we wouldn't have talked about this in Mac Geek Hub 915. Right. And it it was 915. As, as you were saying this thing, he's like, I looked at the show notes for 951. I'm like, I would love to see the show notes for 951. I want to learn what we're going to talk oh. about. <laughs> but, well, no, he said it, but, it, but he meant 915. And I pulled that command forward too. So that command, um, and it's it's just in Carbon Copy Cloner where you go and look. You can also look in Disk Utility, although um, it, we were we were looking pre-show at that, and it wasn't entirely obvious uh, for me, on, at least on my Mac, how to delete things in snapshots. And I'm going to pull it up here now. Okay, so it just took a while. It had to sort of parse through all of them. And now I can right click on one and delete it or rename it. Oh, okay. um, but it shows you, yeah, if you go into disk utility, highlight your drive and go to the view menu and choose show APFS snapshots, you can see them there too. So if you don't have carbon copy cloner, this now in, in um, the current you know, builds of Monterey, the release builds of Monterey has, uh, has this snapshot browser. And yes, you can go and delete things. And man, like I wish I could sort the, the there's you know it shows you the name the date the tide mark I'm not exactly sure what that is the highest block referenced by a snapshot which cannot be moved and limits shrinking okay cool don't know what that why I would need to know that but sure uh but it won't let me sort and then it has size and kind what would us oh we have time machine snapshots and then carbon copy cloner snapshots but I can't sort by size but looking in here I mean there's several that are over a hundred gigs this seems no, like these sizes aren't right because there there's definitely more than a terabyte used on my drive. So maybe they're inclusive or they share data. But anyway, you can delete them here. I'm not sure how helpful it is. I I, I find the carbon copy cloner interface a little more clear. So, all right, uh, where are we on time? Oh, we still have some time. I like this. We're being efficient today. This is good. Uh, yeah. All right, let's go. Are we are we done with this one, John? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Let's go to listener John then, who has a um, it's a follow up, and we'll call it a cool stuff found. He says uh, we were talking about things to use when um, Google's workspace, the free version, goes away for those of us that have Google's workspace for free, and uh, and he recommends PO Box dot com uh, that he says he's got a free account for grandfathered there. That's no longer how it works, he says. But uh, they they have plans, $50 a year and less for just doing email. Uh, and and he says it, it works out great. They are a good service and um, even at their most expensive are less expensive than um and then Google, there's even a $20 a year plan, which does forwarding only, which may be all you need. Uh, you know, you put you link up your custom domain to them. It has forwarding only. 
You can forward up to five different destinations, which is handy. Uh, obviously, use your own domain. And they provide outgoing SMTP access, which is the key. Forwarding mail coming in is great, but you want to be able to send mail from your domain and you're going to need real SMTP access to do that reliably. So uh, so for 20 bucks a year, you might even be able to get a full family in there if having five accounts is uh, is enough for you. So an another good option. We are compiling a list of all of this here to share once Google makes their sort of final decision. We mentioned that they they were uh, asking folks to fill out a questionnaire that's open for another month or so till I think April 15th. After that, I think, and it was a questionnaire specifically targeted at people using Google Workspace for personal use. So I think we're going to see some middle ground plan come from them to cater to people that don't want to pay whatever it is, you know, 10 bucks a mailbox a month or five bucks a mailbox a month or something like that. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm eager to see what's what's happening there. So, uh, shall we talk to talk about David, John? We still have time. Let's do it. All right. um, I've heard you discuss the pros and cons of SSDs for several years now. I understand that when those drives fail, they can be expected to just stop with little to no warning. And yes, I've had this happen. Yes. Um, <laughs> That's how it Some be. of the initial ones. Um, I remember you said that they are good for a certain number of write cycles, and that is true. My question is, now that SSDs have been standard equipment for Macs for quite a while, have you begun to see any patterns as far as actual failure rates go? Uh, is there any method to assess just where a solid-state drive is in an expected lifespan? I'm curious about OEM drives and Macs as well as things like external SSDs. I don't mind replacing something when it's time to do so, but I don't know um, much about just how a certain number of write cycles translate into average daily use. Do you? Um, well, here's the answer, Dave. You can get this, uh, you can determine the lifetime, uh, of an SSD, but I don't think you, you, there's an Apple tool to do so, but okay. there are two that many of us use. So the first one is iStat menus and it, um, and they have a drive widget. So if you, uh, click on the drive widget and then hover over the drive, it'll show you a bunch of things. Used, free, purgeable, and then SSD lifetime left. And for example, I'm looking at my Mac Mini and it says 98%. So that's uh, uh, that's good. All right. Um, and the other thing, uh, you could do a diagnostic tool like DriveDX. It also gives um, SSD lifetime left indicator. So... There you go. Interesting. Yeah. I, I Yeah. It, I wonder, I mean, I wonder how accurate these are, right? Like, I, I'd be curious to hear from anybody feedback at MacGeekab.com. If you've, you know, seen this get down to like 20% and yet, you know, it's still fine because 20% is more than zero, right? Like it, it, it should be something that declines steadily over time, I would think. But my guess is that it's just reading some parameter from the drive. My guess is it's not as reliable as we would want it to be, but, but I don't know. Like, uh, like that, that's an, that's an interesting thing. Huh? 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll reach out to the vendors of these, these apps and ask them, you know, what, what they're reporting from, because that would, that would tell us more about what's going on. Maybe. Yeah. I should have looked through. I think it's probably a smart parameter. So the drive is reporting itself. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a self-reported thing from the drive would be, I mean, it would have to be. Um, so yeah, I don't. And, and I'm wondering what it's reporting because as he correctly pointed out in his question, the first thing in theory that will happen to an SSD is you will simply stop being able to write to it, but you will be able to read from it. Of course, that's not necessarily what everyone experiences, you and me included, where, it, you know, the drive has been working for both writing and reading, and then it stops working for writing and reading and even identifying itself as a drive, right? It's just like, today I am no longer what I once was. It goes through its metamorphosis. Maybe it's like a butterfly, a caterpillar, you know, the drive, the drive, uh, maybe it, it liquefies inside. And and your data is gone and it no longer identifies as a drive. And that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Like Mission Impossible. Right. Right. But in that case, the, it was it was magnetic uh, tapes that were. Yeah, I think they changed that in the newer movies. There were like platters okay. or something. Right. I mean, I, I think I don't know, man. Like it's like those newer movies are not new anymore. So, mm. um yeah, I'm surprised we haven't we haven't seen it. Maybe we have. I don't know. I can't remember. But yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure what it like. I don't know that you get to know. That's and and maybe that's the. It certainly that's been experientially what we have gone through ourselves and what we've heard from most people out there is that you really don't get any warning on the lifespan and what the the path I take is. I rely on my backups because I know that that SSD is going to is going to fail someday. And if it starts acting wonky, that's all the warning I need. I'm out. You know, I'll replace it as quickly as I can at that point. But, you know, you don't get a drive that's making noise. You don't get reports of, oh, there were bad blocks, but everything I recovered and everything's still OK. Like you do with some uh, rotational drives with an SSD. It's just like yeah, today. It's, it's like I said, I'm no longer a drive. I no longer identify as a drive. Maybe that's, mm -hmm. that's what it says. And that's it. And then you're done. So because I, I don't I don't I mean, I, I do mean that to, to be a little bit, you know, funny, but it, like it's actually true. The drive simply stops like it doesn't even show up in disk utility or system information. Like it, it's as though there's no drive attached, even though you can physically see a drive attached. Like that's what happens. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's what we got for today, John. It's going to have to do it for us. Mm -hmm. We did good, though. We made it through a lot. This was this was productive. I like it. We should take we should take uh, time off more often. Not this week. This week we get to do this twice. But you know it'll be fun because we'll be able to just talk about whatever happens with Apple. I wonder what that. Yeah, I'm curious to see, you know, that whole peak performance thing. Most people will probably hear this episode after the Apple announcement. Um, but it's I mean, it's a play on words and all that. And that's fun. But what like, what does it mean? That's kind of the 
the key. I mean, I think we're going to... Maybe you could have something to do, something visual. Maybe new, you know, new displays is kind of the, the you know, the working theory if if one tugs on that thread. Um, Maybe an AR. I, like AR that. Headset. It could be the headset, but I like... If that were to come out, that would be the best kept secret. Like, I mean, everybody knows they're they're experimenting with it and may or may not release it, you know. But certainly, they they aren't ignoring that world. But like, we haven't heard of any production of any of that. I don't know. Who knows? I hope we see. I don't think we're going to see it, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed for the new M1 iMac large screen, whatever that is, you know, iMac Pro, iMac 27 inch, iMac 32, whatever that is, because the studio needs a new iMac. I mean, it doesn't really. This one's a 2019. It's it's actually really good. It's fine. As long as I run. Uh, uh, what's that? What's that app? Uh, Turbo uh, Turbo Boost Switcher. Turbo Boost Switcher Pro is actually what I use. That is the key to. uh making it so you all do not have to hear fans in my iMac when we do this show. I don't know why. My CPU with Turbo Boost Switcher Pro disabling Turbo Boost is only at like, it's like 80% idle. So clearly it doesn't need to Turbo Boost and heat itself up. And yet it does if I don't turn it off. So it's a handy little tool. As you've said many times, John, Turbo Boost is kind of a stupid thing. It seems right. I, I can, I just, don't. just give me the gigahertz, man, <laughs> and let it run cool. Like you know, I want I want performance per per temperature per degree. There you go. Is it performance per joule? Would that be the right way of thinking about it? Performance per watt, maybe. Maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe. Right. Oh. All right. Let's go. We're done. Thanks. Thanks for hanging out with us. Make sure to, uh, like I said before, check out the merch. And I'll say it one last time. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com. There, that's three for the episode. I think I heard you right, dude. Feedback at MacGeekUp. It is. It's feedback at MacGeekUp.com. Check out our sponsors. We had uh, four in this episode, all with fun stuff. Drinktrade.com slash MGG. NewRelic.com slash MGG. ZocDoc.com slash MGG. And CoreCode.io slash MGG. CoreCode.io slash MGG. Hey, listen. uh, If you're going to play a doctor, and notice I put an A in there. If you're going to play a doctor in Mexico... Be very aware of what you what prescription medication you are permitted to procure down there and bring home with you, because the last thing I would want for anyone to do is uh, have any trouble, which is to say, please don't get caught. See you next week. Actually, we won't see you Tuesday. Well, we will see you next week. Also Tuesday.